listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Wirt and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. In part one of this conversation, we chatted to Miran Ali about the Star Network's origins. How did it come about? What was the process for getting it set up? How did they address supplier fears regarding collaboration? What kind of issues were suppliers keen to collaborate on, and which issues are off limits? If you're just joining us now for part two, here's some quick context about the Star Network. It stands for the Sustainable Textile of the Asian Region, and it's the first inter-Asian network of producer associations initiated with the support of the GIZ Fabric Project. The Fabric Project is commissioned by the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development and supports the Asian textile industry in its transformation towards fair production for people and the environment. The network brings together representatives of the producing associations from Bangladesh, Cambodia, China, Myanmar, Pakistan, and Vietnam. The network's members all meet regularly and have undertaken work together in order to promote sustainable production. According to their spokesperson and our guest today, Miran Ali, they represent over 60% of the global market share of global apparel and footwear factory exports. They've been in the news a lot the last couple of weeks because they've announced a pretty groundbreaking initiative, which was launched in partnership with GIZ Fabric and the International Apparel Federation, also known as the IAF, calling for better purchasing practices. IAF members from three additional countries have already joined the initiative. In this episode, we get into the details of this initiative. On which issues exactly does the Star Network hope to put forward minimum standards? What has the process for agreeing these standards in and amongst the suppliers been like? Do all the suppliers agree, or are there areas of contention? And of course, what comes next? Miran wears many hats. He's the managing director of Bitopi Group, an apparel manufacturer based in Bangladesh. He's also the director at the RMG Ready Made Garments Sustainability Council in Bangladesh, director of the Bangladesh Garment Manufacturers and Exporters Association, and as we already mentioned, he's also the spokesperson for the Star Network. We also want to highlight that GIZ Fabric has a great online seminar series called "Getting Through the Crisis Together: Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry." Miran was a speaker on both the first and the eleventh seminar within this series. All the seminars are free and available online, and we highly recommend checking them out. If you are on Instagram, please follow us to grow the conversation at Manufactured Underscore Podcast, or sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our homepage. To find out more about the GIZ Fabric Project and the seminar series "Getting Through the Crisis Together: Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry," check out the links we've put in our show notes. And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe. Let's talk about what we've been hinting at for the whole conversation so far. Let's talk about COVID nineteen and purchasing practices and where the Star Network is at now. So you've you've the Star Network. I think in in January, mid January, so just about a month ago, um, 
came out with a pretty groundbreaking initiative calling for better purchasing practices. Can you tell us about what this is and who it includes? Right. So at the beginning, exactly a year ago, exactly a year ago at the OECD um, in Paris, which was the last physical meeting I, I recall having, um, we were discussing with um, the International Apparel Federation about how to have convergence in uh, compliance audits. Subsequently, um, we all came back to our countries and we started seeing the problem with the COVID crisis, which initially started as a supply chain problem. We were never, initially, we were never worried about having getting COVID in our own countries or, or the world hmm. shutting down. We were worried, am I, are my fabrics going to be shipped out on time or not? And, and, I, and I recall distinctly at that time thinking, okay, well, Chinese New Year holiday is going to be over this date. So my fabric shipping should be starting by the end of February. Okay, I can meet my production schedules. The entire conversation, and, in, and I've also visited several customers in Europe, the entire conversation everywhere was all about supply chain um, resilience in terms of raw materials, chemicals, bipod, I mean, additional chemicals, all of that. Come March, the conversation started changing. Middle of March, um, third week, oh, sorry, third week of March. Third week of March, we started seeing the global, global lockdown. And then obviously we had a period of sheer panic and um, completely unaware of how to deal with it. After the first couple of weeks, we actually got the Star Network together again, virtually, and started again sharing ideas, discussing what's happening in Cambodia, what's happening in Vietnam, what's happening in China. This is what, end of March, first week of April. So end of March, first week of April, what was happening was we were all shut. Um, but each one of us was dealing with it differently. So we were also discussing about how, what sort of assistance we we're asking for the government and, and so on. Then, um, towards this period, uh, we also uh, made our first joint press release ever where we, um, you know, committed ourselves to trying to save our industries and requesting brands to not um, engage in behavior that is short-sighted and destroys industries in particular countries. That was our first joint press statement. Prior to that, we've never actually made a press statement ever. Prior to that, nobody even knew the Star Network existed. Um, Sorry, which, which month was that? I'm trying to remember this is, now. This is back it in was... April. April, yeah. In okay. April of last year, we did our first press statement where we, um, you know, it was just a, a request, a call for support from the brands buying from all of these countries. Because one of the things that we discovered back then was that we were all facing the same problems the same challenges. Then um, we started talking, um, Alex, Alexandra and I. And Alexandra here refers to Alexandra Benz, the coordinator for regional cooperation and the country coordinator for China as part of the GIZ Fabric Project. Started talking with the IAF, Matas. And here Miran is referring to Matthias Crité of the International Apparel Federation. About what how can we take the Star Network's already strong um, linkage, but take it to another level where we can have 
a conversation about some of the problems that we are now dealing with in terms of brand behavior. That is what led us. And of course, um, uh, something like this um, it took a long time to really flesh it out. And it was only much later, it, it took us a few months, and obviously we were all dealing with our personal crisis and our business survival. So it took mm -hmm. us a while to get this thing together. But then we decided that there are five key issues that we need to work on. Number one are the payment terms. Um, so what we have done is that the Star Network has gotten together with the International Apparel Federation, with the support of the GIZ, and we have decided to embark upon this purchasing practices project. It's not a very well-named project. We need a better name for it. Um, and we have identified five key themes that we need to address, discuss, or propose solutions or changes. Number one is payment terms. Um, now, what do we mean by payment terms? Well, simply that, what are the payment terms? What is a fair payment term? What is an unfair payment term? What changes can you make fairly to a payment term? Um, the next one would be on pricing and negotiation. Now, that doesn't, when we say pricing and negotiation, we're not trying to say that, okay, this is the minimum price that you're going to pay for all of us. Well, that's not going to work. We all have different prices. But there has to be a logic and a rationale towards how you arrive at certain things. And one of them happens to be mm. um, how, you, how do you negotiate? Do you negotiate by force, by sheer um, fact of your uh, strength of your buying power? Third, delivery conditions. So in terms of delivery conditions, what we were thinking about were at what stage is your liability? At what stage is it my liability? Um, what, how much are you allowed to postpone or delay shipments? At what stage are you allowed to postpone or delay shipments? Then we come to one of the most important points, planning and information exchange. One of the biggest problems, and, and you have seen this yourself, Kim, running practice, is not knowing, not your buyers not sharing information with you, information which may be, to some extent at least, available with them. And by not sharing this... About, you mean about like their inventory, basically it, about how, yes. well they're, how well the products you make them are actually selling. How well are the products actually selling? What is the inventory situation? What is the next order situation? Yeah. What's the plan? When am I going to get my next order? Is it going to be what? Mm -hmm. You know, um, so this is something that we uh, also want to talk about, that there has to be some degree of commitment to some level of planning and information exchange without which a factory cannot simply function. That now, whether that information comes with a, a, a three-month, a 90-day window, a 120-day window, or a three-week window, Depends on which country you're talking to, but there are minimum standards. Finally, um, and potentially problematically, we wanted to come to the issue of third-party negotiations. Now, by that, we mean particularly in countries like Myanmar, um, and to some extent in Cambodia, but very much so in Myanmar, um, a lot of, almost the entire business is, is actually controlled by agents by third parties who um, actually take 
uh, uh, quite a healthy share of any any potential profit and are working as intermediaries for most of the customers now what what is what is the um what shall i say to what extent i can hold a a big european brand or a big american brand to a certain level of accountability but when this trickles down to a, a third level agent working in uh, out of some other country how do i hold that agent accountable to what extent is the brand accountable to i mean the the accountability of third parties is something that we never discuss Eb, yeah can can you give a bit of context for listeners who might not be as familiar why why do these agents exist i mean why not go direct so agents exist for a variety of reasons there are certain brands who choose to work through importers because they choose not to work directly with factories there are some brands which work only directly with factories and will not work with any importer there are others who where the importer is giving an additional service which a factory cannot provide in terms of for example financing or design or credit terms or delivery to warehouse and it can also simply be because the um the factory itself cannot open the uh, letters of credit for buying the raw materials they don't have the credit line or it simply could be that the brand doesn't want to buy direct so why would that be that could be for a variety of reasons um one could be because you're too small one could be you feel that you're not um it's not your uh, key strength or it could be because you don't want to deal with the hassle um So the, it's interesting because a lot of the reasons, basically, it sounds to me. Tell me if I got it right or not. But it sounds to me like a lot of the reasons for working with an agent have to do somehow with managing distribution of risk, right? You mentioned uh, that the agent would offer a service that the factory could not, in terms of letter, you know, letters of payment terms or letters of credit or or whatever um, that might be. Is that right? That is true in some cases. this is a very it's a it it is a very varied um reply because it really it, 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 it you have a whole spectrum of agents and the point that we're trying to make is that um if a company chooses to work with an agent that agent must be held accountable to certain standards sure usually what happens is that whichever company uses an agent always has a CSR department which is always talking about how compliant the factory has to be and we accept that of course the factory has to be compliant but how what is the level of compliance required of the agent that is something we are not we are never discussing so these are the five key areas that we want to work on at the moment in the first instance so that we can flesh something out into a more um nuanced position on where we have areas of commonality. I don't know if you can answer this, but my my immediate question is okay, these are five pretty um contentious areas and like you said manufacturers in different countries have different situations. I mean, you we've already talked about one obvious one which is, you know, that in places like Cambodia a lot of the garment factories are Chinese owned whereas in Bangladesh they're Bangladesh owned. 
I'm curious, what do you think will be the key points of disagreement within and amongst manufacturers on on these issues? Or do you think that actually it'll be smooth sailing that, you know, getting consensus on these five topics will be, you know, will be fairly straightforward? I would suspect that we can come to um, <clears throat> a consensus very quickly among the different associations. The challenge is going to be twofold. Number one, my association, the BGMA, represents almost 4,000 different factories, 2,500 of them who are active exporters. Whatever consensus that I, as a representative of the BGMA, arrive at with my counterparts across Asia, excuse me, this same consensus then has to be trickled down to my members, and they have to agree to it because they have only elected me to represent them, but I can't take a decision on their behalf. Secondly, this is something that we then have to turn around and take it to the brands to get them to comply to it. Um, there's something you mentioned, which I can't recall. I, I would just... Um, where will the key points, oh, of, when you talk about your about getting your members to agree, what, what do you think will be the key points of disagreement? That's, that's difficult to say right now because we haven't fleshed it out yet. This is something that we will, <laughs> we will know when we, have final, when we have the final draft and I go back to my members or to the senior members and start talking about it. I believe that before, I don't think there will be very much disagreement on it because we're not going to be asking Bangladesh to be less competitive. We're not going to be asking any one country to be less competitive, but we're going to be setting minimum standards there has to be a minimum standard of um, purchasing practice, which is applicable whether you're buying from Cambodia or whether you're buying from Bangladesh. That there, there are minimum standards in the world, and this is something that... So whenever you speak to any customer in the world, they will always talk about the minimum standards that they have in their country that they're buying it at. Or you, or you talk to a, a global purchasing company like uh, H&M, H&M has excellent standards which they practice across the world. Very good. But unfortunately, I might be a supplier to H&M, but not everybody is. So we need to have standards which are applicable for other brands as well. Uh, there's another point. Now, one of the areas you were, you were mentioning about disagreement, I don't see an area of disagreement here, but it's a slightly more complicated situation because we have brought in Indonesia, Turkey, and Morocco. And they joined only recently, and it's well, they joined in the project. They're not a part of the Star Network. They've just joined in the project. Unfortunately, but they're associations as well. I, I'm talking about their associations. Their associations have joined. Um, uh, so it, uh, the Moroccan one is called Amit, and um, the Turkish one is called um, I don't remember. And the, the the Indonesian one is called API. So the, the only thing I can think about with the Indonesians, the Moroccans, and the Turkish, is simply the fact that we know each other less well. I mean, we've mm. just met virtually for the first time. The other guys we have, um, we have sat down together. We've, we've been seeing each other consistently. So we know each other. Um, so I, but I, I believe that I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic because everybody has suffered. Uh, tremendously from many of the same issues. So I believe that there is a way that we can um, 
come to a consensus, that we can come to a, a common standard. And the advantage of having these people in here, even though we know each other less well personally, we still have uh, the IAF, which has very close links with all these three associations, number one. Number two, mm. um, it makes us that much stronger. It makes us that much stronger and that much of a, a party with whom you can negotiate or well, not negotiate, discuss. Right. So what's next? I mean, you've you've got these five issues. You, I, from what I understand, are meeting internally, trying to define what, you know, what I think you the term you use is what these red lines are, what these what these minimum standards are, and then I, what comes next? Some kind of a statement, and when when do you expect that to come? Um, quite soon. It's um, uh, I would expect by March. Okay, one of the things is. The um, one of our key components is MGMA, the Myanmar Garments Manufacturers Association, and we obviously, due to the events happening in Myanmar right now, we are not being able to contact them. So we've not been able to have some of them in some in any of the meetings in the last couple of what it's almost two weeks now. So um, we need to get that sorted out. We need to get their inputs. So I think we might be facing a bit of a delay with that. Other than that, mm. I would otherwise our plan was beginning of March, so we might be pushed back by a few weeks, depending how fast mm. things normalize. Can I ask, what's your guess? I mean, how do you anticipate that it will play out after that? How do you think brands or retailers, the the big names in the fashion industry, will will respond? Do you have any speculation? The big names in the fashion industry should respond very positively. It's, it's often the, the middle and the little ones. Not No, let me rephrase that. Companies which are genuinely interested in um, improving the lives of the people who make their apparel, who really um, not just say things in CSR statements, but mean what they say, they, I believe, will at least have dialogue with us. Um, and that dialogue might result in a further evolution of whatever we prepare. Because whatever we prepare is a manufacturer's opinion. Right, let's now have a customer's opinion, and let's see what happens there. Um, I cannot conceive of a situation where a brand would not want to have dialogue with a group that makes up almost close to 75% of the global export market. Um, I, I see no reason why you wouldn't. So I, I believe that the next, once we have fleshed this out, once we have got a white paper out, then the next step is going to be to start beginning the dialogue. Um, whether it's going to be on, a, in some cases, it could be on a country basis, uh, or some cases it would be uh, on a company basis. In the Netherlands, for example, it's a small country, it's it's easy to do it on a, a company uh, on on a with a uh, with uh, on a trade association basis like the Fairware Foundation mm. or something like that. In France, you can talk to ICS, and there you are covering a lot of the French industry already. So we we have to see how to proceed later on, um, moving on from this. I understand this dialogue or this conversation or negotiation on the five sames. I understand it as a reversed selection. 
When I say reverse the selection, I mean, usually in textile, you have brands initiatively come to select suppliers as you have more suppliers, I, I think, than the numbers of brands. So usually brands select suppliers based on lots of different indicators. For instance, low prices would be for sure one of them. And by having those regional collaboration and regional negotiation, it's like reverse the selecting for manufacturers select brands that are willing to have um, common agreement on purchasing practice. This is good, of course. And it's regional because it's uh, mostly like Southeast Asia. And of course, now we have Morocco and Turkey. I'm just thinking. And Bangladesh and Pakistan. Bangladesh and Pakistan. <laughs> and I'm just thinking if some brands, for instance, they would like to go to a region that are not join this negotiation, for instance, Africa. As I know, lots of Chinese companies actually went to Africa in the past few years to invest into factories, companies for various of reasons. I'm just imagining if that happened, would associate, I think that is happening actually, would each association from each country already think about that? Because we don't want, of course, business going away. And more than that, After this practical consideration, there is accountability. We also don't want, uh, if this region gave up those, or forced the other side gave up those purchasing practice. However, this purchasing practice moved to another region. This is also not what we want. So is there any consideration of that? Or this is just a, a question like further down on the road? I think it's a question for further down on the road. Um, Because right now we have to get acceptability. We have to get buy-in from all the brands. The exports from Africa, I mean, it, it's not it's not a significant amount at this moment. Right, right. Um, yeah. And uh, there are Indian, Pakistani, even Bangladeshi and Chinese factories operating there. Um, so actually some of the people on our... Um, different standard for cab factories in Ethiopia and Kenya. So um, I think this is something that we can uh, deal with in the course of time. Um, if I zoom out, I mean, one of the things that we haven't really talked about directly, but that it's important, I think, to, to highlight is that the discussion around these five topics or these five themes is happening in and amongst suppliers exclusively. As of right now, no brands are invited to the table. You're coming up with your joint position, and then that that will be the next step. Brands will be invited to the table um, once once those position once the white paper is out. So, I'm curious. And and when in the media, I've heard you refer to the phase that the project is in now as a safe space for suppliers. And I'm curious because I, I think it's this idea of a safe space for suppliers is something that comes up more and more regularly. And I've had people from within the fashion industry who are not on the supplier side come to me and say, you know, we want to get more supplier perspectives. We want to get bring more supplier voices to the table, but we don't know how to reach them or they won't talk to us freely. And so what makes this space safe for suppliers? And in other contexts, what could non-supplier stakeholders do to make spaces safer for suppliers and to get the information flowing more freely? Well, um, to answer the first part of your question, by the way, while we're discussing these five points internally, 
it's also with external moderation. So, for example, mm. we got Marsha Dixon from Better Buying, um, Oliver, um, Olivia, Wyndham Stewart, um, or uh, Tom from Albanon, um, Edwin K from HKRIRTA. We have all these people moderating each of these sessions because it's, if you leave it to manufacturers, we'll, uh, we'll manufa- having a group of manufacturers in a, around the table is like you know herding geese. You have to have a moderator there, somebody with um, uh, the ability to process all of this information and synthesize it into uh, a correct direction. So in addition to that, we also have an advisory board. The advisory board consists of representation of brands, trade unions, um, other organizations like ACT, ACT, Action Collaboration Transformation, the OECD, and a couple of others. So we have what we are going to come up with is what we're trying to do is come up with a white paper, which is not going to be something that is going to be um, some uh, blue sky idealistic uh, demand that that's never going to happen. We want to make it as as um, acceptable as it's po- as possible and as fair as possible to all the stakeholders involved in our industry. Um, now, in terms of the safe space, a lot of times as a manufacturer myself, um, I would be, uh, I would think twice or I probably wouldn't speak about a specific brand in any negative way because that brand might be my customer and I might, I may justifiably or unjustifiably be nervous about it. That same thing applies to countries and associations. If you're a major customer in a country, you will not, might not want to criticize that customer. When we have our internal discussions, when we have our groups together, it's always on Chatham House rules. So we can, if there's an issue with a particular customer, which happens to be a major issue, which does violate so certain minimum standards of what we think are is fair or unfair, and it, we had now have a platform to take it up, which we never have had in the past. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com, or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our website homepage. Thanks for listening and see you next week.